You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you, bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today, well, I'm pretty excited because this is actually the first dad that I have had on The Art of Parenting uh, podcast. So we are about to embark on a wonderful conversation. And uh, I have a guest named Olivier Bernier. So I am pronouncing it with my French accent because that just feels more normal. Uh, Olivier will, will correct me and, and say it pro- in his way. But uh, Olivier is a dad and a filmmaker and has created this beautiful documentary about his son and uh, kind of the journey that they have been through. And that's all I will say. uh, And I will let him explain all of that as we get into our conversation. So thank you for making the time, Olivier, to be here with us today. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm honored to be the first dad. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm pretty excited. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of, I don't know why that is. I've, I've, it just, It just is, right? There needs to be a first one. So I'm glad it's you. Uh, So, uh, Olivier, I would love for you first, as as I always like to start my episodes, is having my guests define what does the art of parenting mean to them? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think the art of parenting is the art of problem solving and always (laughs) trying to improve you know, I, th- I think we are born with a set of skills and uh, understanding of the basics of what we have to do. And then the art comes in with how you uh, how you adjust and how you um, do the best for your child. So, yes, I, and I love that problem solving because um, it is. And as we are getting get into your story, that that um, is definitely it. So. Uh, and so before we do get too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about you and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Sure. Well, I have been a filmmaker my entire career. I left high school with the the goal of becoming a filmmaker, and that's what I've done ever since. Um you know, I, I find that visual storytelling is what is a natural fit for me. Um, you know, I, I think that movies have impacted my life and my goal has always been to use the medium, whether it be short form or long form, to make the world a little better. So I started a production company in 2010 called Rota Six Films with a partner. And ever since then, we've been doing both commercial work and documentary work, um, trying to put a little dent in the world. And that's kind of was the genesis of this film, Forget Me Not. Right. And so, um, 
Olivier has has done a beautiful film that that I've watched called Forget Me Not, and it's really the story of becoming a parent and becoming a problem solver, but most importantly, an advocate for your son Emilio. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I would love for you to to kind of tell us a little bit because you know our listeners. I hope some of them have seen the film, but most probably haven't. And I will have all of those links in the show notes. But can you tell us a little bit, like where, when the idea came about, and and why you felt this was an important um, documentary film to create? And you you really, I mean, start at the very beginning, which is I think beautiful. Yeah, well, the the film actually starts before our son Emilio was born. Um, you know, like any father about to be, you know, I was filming my wife's pregnancy, and um, we were just over the moon and excited about you know what was to come. And you know, you build all these expectations of what your child's going to be like, which is you know, in retrospect, a mistake. Um, you know, because I think that every child comes out unique and Emilio certainly came out unique. Um, we learned when he was born that he had Down syndrome and it kind of flipped everything on its head for us. Um, you know, all those expectations we had changed immediately just because I did not know what trisomy 21 was. I didn't know what Down syndrome was. And I really had no experience um, ever having been around anyone with, with Down syndrome. Uh, so in that moment, that is in the film, actually, we had to kind of readjust and recalibrate what it meant to be a parent um, of a child with with a disability. And to tell you the truth, at that point, because I had no exposure to anybody with Down syndrome to that point, I really didn't understand what it meant. Um, You know, doctors were talking to us, but it didn't really sink in what that meant. And for me at that moment, it was a lot of doom and gloom. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, you, you don't want your memory of your first child to be marred in this this uh, dark doom and gloom feeling. Um, but that's what it was. And the truth is, is that I had never been around anyone with Down syndrome simply because they were hidden from me my entire life. And it quickly became apparent that I had a big shortcoming in my own experience of being an adult and a and a human in general and I wanted to try to correct that so I set out to to make a film about um inclusion and what what it's like to include someone with a disability right and and from you know from what I've seen there were quite a bit of of frustration and roadblocks to to be your child's advocate for him to be included in public setting public school settings and so forth yeah when when our son was born i mean pretty quickly like within a day or two you know i kind of took a little bit of time and then i recalibrated and i said okay this, you know what do i want for my son well I'm still not, I hadn't wrapped my head around what Down syndrome was yet necessarily, but I did know that I wanted him to have a full life and I wanted him to be able to achieve um, everything that he could and to have the opportunity to be the best version of himself. And I know that can only happen if you're included in society. So from the very, very beginning, uh, it uh, 
my wife and and I, you know, we we decided that we would do everything we could to make him as included in the world as possible. We didn't want him hidden like I knew so many other children were. Right, right. And it seems like, I mean, when you say that, like hidden, that seems so antiquated uh, in the 21st century. But I guess you're, you, you have found that to be a reality. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, first of all, Emilio is growing up in probably the best time for someone with Down syndrome. You know, 50 years ago, a child with Down syndrome might have been taken from the mother in the hospital within a couple of days and sent to an institution. You know, doctors back in the 60s and 70s and earlier would tell the mother that, you know, this child's going to be more trouble than it's worth and he, he'll have a better home in an institution. Oh my and, you know, now today we, we're living in a world where we can have these conversations. And, you know, truthfully, it's not part of the mainstream conversation when you talk about um, schooling and, and children, but it's, it is part of the conversation. And you can just see it in the life expectancy of someone with Down syndrome. I believe it was something like the life expectancy was under 50 in the 80s. And now today it's over 60. You know, it's people are living with disabilities and having very full lives today. So I, I'm excited for Emilio and what's to come. Yeah, yeah. And he he sure is lucky to have you and, and Hilda to to be his advocate because it's true that even, you know, a child that without Down syndrome, like we, we constantly do have to be you know, advocating for them, whether, you know, whether they're being labeled, you know, hyperactive or, or lazy or whatever, you know, whatever is going on. I know for me, I mean, I have two children that I know through, through schooling, especially, uh, you, you have to, you have to be aware of what's going on. You have to be aware of, of, you know, what, you know, lane they're trying to put them in and, and such. So very, very important. Um, and so today, I mean, Emilio is six and I'm assuming, I mean, I know there was, you know, we had a global pandemic and we were isolated and so forth. So there, there was probably a pause there. But today has he uh, integrated a public school? And, and I do believe you're in the New York City area. Yeah, so, you know, much of the film is about us trying to get Emilio included in general education, which, you know, we, we were shocked that that was even going to be an issue. Uh, living in New York, we thought, you know, we were in a progressive city and that's just the way things were done. Um, but we were shocked that at the age of two and a half, he was being told that he had to go to a segregated setting with only people with disabilities. So as you were saying earlier, that's when our advocacy really started because we knew that if we didn't put a line in the sand in that moment, then he would, his trajectory would uh, have been segregated for his, his schooling. Because in New York, especially, it's, it's so rare that a child with a significant disability gets taken out of a segregated setting. So um, today, we actually, during the pandemic, we actually moved across the river to New Jersey. Um, but today, he's in a general education class in kindergarten and he's thriving. He's really, really doing well. Um, his speech is coming online and, you know, he's, he just, he's a happy boy. And like, at the end of the day, what more could you want? 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's beautiful. And are you continuing to, to film, to document, um, his, his progress and his, you know, where, where he is integrating education or have you put that on hold? I put it on hold for now. I still film family videos, um, which, you know, as in the film, the first 20 minutes are really just family videos. They weren't intended to be in a documentary, but, uh, you know, I, I think that at some point I realized like, I just want to participate and not be an observer of Emilio's life. Because, you know, when you're filming, you're, you're kind of split between these two worlds of having to tell the story, um, from kind of an objective point of view but it's so hard because it's so hard to be objective when it's your own child. Definitely. <laughs> so I've taken, I've taken a little break, but so many people are asking about a sequel that I think uh, at some point, hopefully we can get that going. Yeah. And I know in the film you interviewed other families too. And, and I know it would be wonderful to like know how they're doing as well. So so definitely, I, I would encourage you, but also, yes, be, be in the moment and enjoy your son for, for who he is and not, not necessarily as the filmmaker dad. So, but, uh, but thank you for, for sharing all of that because, you know, like you say, you were, um, kind of, you had to go through your, your own set of, of lack of knowledge really because, uh, you know, people with with different needs, uh, disabilities. And it's funny because I, I, I don't even like to use the word disability. To me, it's just uniqueness and differences and that we're all we're all unique. We all have different needs and that Emilio just has different needs than than other children. But um, but just the fact that you have kind of shed a light on it. I think is is just amazing, and I thank you for having done that work because um, it must not have been easy every day. Thank you so much. I it, what you said about Emilio is exactly true. I, I don't think I was necessarily the easiest child for my parents. Um, you know, I came with a different set of challenges, and every child has their challenges, and Emilio just has a very specific set of challenges that are actually in some ways makes it easier because we we know a lot about his challenges because a lot of people have stu studied down syndrome you know and really we just want emilio to be emilio that's 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 our goal and when it came to you know sharing the story it was really you know i sat down with with my wife and we talked about what we were going to do and originally the film had started just as a exploration and a journey of what inclusive education was because I really didn't know anything about it. So I went and filmed with experts and with other families. And as I'm making this movie about this utopian world of inclusion, um, I started to see my own son becoming, uh, being put in a segregated setting and we s turned the cameras on ourselves because, you know, we thought what, what more, um, you know, how, how can we, do a better job of explaining where the shortcomings are than to tell our own story in a really raw and authentic way. So that's what we did. And, you know, I hope when people see it, it at least gives an honest view into what the world of a parent of a child with a disability is like. And, uh, you know, I think it opens people's eyes to maybe an issue that I certainly didn't think about before I had my child.
Definitely, definitely. And and you you did mention earlier that that you had no no idea before the birth, right? You hadn't done any type of testing that would have detected that there was uh, a Down syndrome or anything. So it, it's really at the birth that you were made aware of the situation. Yeah, the um, we had no idea. We didn't do any testing. The pregnancy was really low risk and went really smoothly. You know, up to that point, I guess there was really no surprises. Um, so we just didn't have a reason, you know, to to test. And and quite frankly, I'm glad we didn't in many ways because uh, you know it, it might have led to some decisions that we you know might have regretted today. Who knows? Um, you know, who knows what that is, but you know, quite frankly, we're really, really happy with the way Emilio's doing. Um, but the the moment that we learned about his Down syndrome, it was difficult. It was very challenging for us because there's so many emotions already. And, uh, you know, to be told bedside in kind of a very um, abrupt kind of way, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, was difficult. And, uh, you know, something if you haven't seen the film, um, you know, that moment's in the film. And uh, I, I didn't know I was recording, but I was recording when the doctor told us that we had a, that our son showed uh, signs of Down syndrome. So we put that in the film and I, I can't think of a more personal situation, but I know that that was kind of the, the start of everything. So it kind of had to be there. Definitely. Definitely. And any, I mean, I don't know if, if, I don't know how to pose the question or, or if you can share anything, but like, what, like, would you have advice for, for a father or a mother who might find themselves in that situation, you know, in the future? Would you have any, any words of wisdom to, to help them deal with, with that kind of information that, that's given to you? Well, the, you know, the first 24 hours were really difficult for us, but the, you know, the doctor has never told us for sure that he had Down syndrome. They, they just gave, said they had, that he had markers for Down syndrome. So we had this like belief that things were going to change and that they had just made a mistake, you know, which was, I guess, just a natural reaction. Um, but the head geneticist of the hospital came that night and took a look at Emilio. He was in a conference all day and he, you know, he, instead of going home, he came at 9 p.m. to our hospital room and he looked at Emilio and he told us immediately, you know, your your child has Down syndrome, definitively. And, you know, we sat there and he's like, do you have any questions for me? And I, I told him, you know, we asked basic questions um, and then I just asked him, like, what does this all mean? And he said, well, we don't know. He said... When my parents had me, they didn't know if I would be a doctor, the head geneticist of NYU, or if I would be a drug addict. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that moment I realized that you just can't put expectations on your child beyond what they're going to be, you know. So um, from that moment, I just learned to not thought creep, to not think too far ahead, and to just do the best I can in every moment. Mm. And and that... That in itself is a beautiful life lesson, you know, uh, as parents, because just as you said earlier, you know, you, when you're expecting, you have all these expectations and then 
ta-da, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's completely different. I know for me personally, I, I didn't even want to know whether it was a, a boy or a girl, right? Mm. For me, the, the, the goal was to have a healthy child. And, and I think because of this idea of, you know, you start having expectations, like if it's, if it's going to be a daughter or a son, or you just start thinking differently. And I think I was already intuitively communicating with a daughter at first, and then I had a son the second time. So it was, it was, you know, I think we, we just know deep down, but it's, it's interesting what you say about this, you know, you're, you're kind of given this very important life lesson of be here and now and not have expectations like this is about enjoying the moment and being an advocate for who this child is today yeah you can't help but be a little reactionary you know because you 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 don't want to make your child someone they're not you know and i I think that um yeah that that was probably that was the right thing that i needed to hear in that moment it was a you know just so thankful that that he said that in that way you know <laughs> which is very stark um and i you know I, I think about it all the time really it's just uh it was the right advice at the right moment so you know to any parent who might encounter a situation like mine i, w- I would just say like it's not doom and gloom and just take it moment by moment and you'll all figure it out together yes yes beautiful any any kind of you know, revelation or advice to maybe a parent who is in the same situation as you and Hilda. They have, you know, they have a young uh, child with Down syndrome. Are there any, you know, with with all the research that you have been doing, you've been talking to a lot of different experts and such, has there been like any big ahas that you have come across that would help um, other parents? Yeah, absolutely. I I think um you know, where do I where do I begin? <laughs> uh I I think like the one thing that always sticks out in my mind is that along the way it's so easy to to get convinced that you're wrong, that what you're feeling and what your gut says about your child is incorrect because of data or, you know, what some you know, teacher thinks or, you know, administrator thinks. So I, I think the most important thing I've learned is to really trust my gut. And it goes back to that core belief that we want our son to be included in society so that he can achieve the best version of himself. And that we always come back to kind of that mission statement for for Emilio. And, you know, so anytime someone says he doesn't fit on a bell curve or he doesn't belong in a class with other students, you know, we come back to that and like, no, he, he does belong. It, it's not it's not just something we want for Emilio, it's a human right for him to, to be included. Um, so, you know, we, we, we stick to our guns. And then the second piece of advice I'd say for anyone that's going into an IEP meeting is that I'm, I'm a pretty cool, calm, collected person. I like to think of myself that way at least. And the truth is, is that it's incredibly stressful. Like you feel like your, your child, their whole future is being determined in that moment. And in some ways they are. Um, or their life is being determined in that moment, their trajectory. So, you know, I think that the best thing you can do is have an advocate that you trust that can um, can be that calm, cool, collected person in that meeting, 
to where you're when you're feeling very emotional, they can step in and, and say the things that need to be said. Um, and also just kind of advise you in, in moments where you're kind of lost. So we've been really lucky to have Sarah Jo advocate for Emilio. She's just incredible and has helped us out so much along this journey. So, you know, it's basically what I'm saying is don't try to do it yourself. Trust other people um, that maybe have similar viewpoints to you. And, and also listen to people that have dissimilar viewpoints. Just understand the other side, because at the end of the day, the best thing you can do in an IEP meeting, I believe, is is to find a way to collaborate. You know, if you just say you, you're wrong, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, but to try to find ways that benefits Emilio. Right, right. And just, just two things that came up. You said IEP twice. Would you mind um, uh, just explaining what that is to our listeners? Sure. IEP is an individualized educational plan. Right. And that is for, you know, any, any child that has um, some kind of challenge or special need or however you want to say it, um, you know, get put into this IEP program. And it's basically uh, a list of goals, really, at the end that are going to be that the teachers are going to try to achieve with with your child. Um, so every year you go to this IEP meeting and the new IEP is written. Um, now, a big part of the IEP meeting is placement. So, you know, really when you should be talking about goals and how you're going to achieve them, which should be a very collaborative process, often it's not because they just frankly don't listen to the parents and the IEP is already written by the time you come in. I think that's changing across school districts now to where they're including parents into the conversation a little more. But ultimately, um, the IEP is, you know, mandated by law. And there's very strong laws that say, you know, a child should be included first and only segregated into, you know, segregated setting once everything else has been tried. And quite frankly, in today's world, there's a lot of things to try. So, you know, before you, um, for your child gets put in a segregated setting, if, if you want him to be in an inclusive setting with other children that are typically developing, you know, learn what those other things are and make that suggestion. Right, right. And then you also mentioned uh, a woman that is an advocate, uh, Sarah. Now, what is her background? Like, is she is she a child psychologist? Is she a, a specialist in education? Like, who, who do we reach out to when we need an advocate by our side? Well, depending what state you're in, there's there's a lot of organizations um, that you can seek out to to help find advocates. Um, you know, it's unfortunately what happens a lot of times is that, especially in New York, is that you have to sue to get what you want. Um, so you have seriously, to, yeah. So you have to go through lawyers, um, which is sad. Advocates are typically not lawyers; they're generally someone that helps you advocate for your child. So in our case, um, you know, which is through the making of the film, I got to meet Sarah Jo, who was working at the National Down Syndrome Society at the time. And, you know, we started talking to each other and she, she eventually became, you know, make a long story short, eventually became Emilio's advocate. 
Um, she's also, she's at Syracuse University now. She's a professor and um, doctoral candidate in, you know, focused on, I, I forget exactly what her focus is, but it's definitely on in- inclusive education. So she's a wealth of knowledge and she teaches us all the time. Like when we think that there's, we've hit a roadblock or, you know, we've come to the edge of the cliff, like she's like, no, 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 there's a bridge right over here. <laughs> so she really helps us a lot. And, you know, I, I really would recommend um, any parent to try to find at least an advocate um, and there's a lot of organizations that, you know, depending on your socioeconomic situation will, will hook you up with an advocate, you know, to, to help your child because it's, it's the unfortunate case of it is that it could be very expensive um, for some people. So, you know, there's definitely help out there. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for answering those kind of technical questions. Um, and then what you what you there was, you were describing like Emilio being in a classroom with other children and such. And I just have to say that what a beautiful experience it is for the other children to have Emilio in their life. Right? Because for me, like, segregating and keeping children that have uh, unique needs or, or, you know, might be quote unquote different from the other children is not setting up the other children to, to be aware that we have differences, right? Um, and to me, that is so important. My, my daughter was actually attended a uh, public magnet school here in our neighborhood that has a, big kind of section for children with uh, both mental and physical disabilities. And I remember in her classroom, she had some children that were um, hard of hearing or, or deaf. And so there were teachers in her classroom that were uh, speaking in sign language. And she learned another language. She learned sign language just by going to a public school where it was, you know, children were integrated. And to me, that is, that is a beautiful gift to all children. That's exactly what inclusion is. I mean, it's not only about Emilio or children with challenges, it's about all children learning from each other. It's ultimately, if you go into a successful inclusion classroom, you know, what, what you're seeing is a mirror of what society should be. You're seeing children that don't see differences. They just see each other for who they are. And it's really incredible. And, you know, we spend some time in the Henderson School, which is a public school in Boston that's an inclusive school. They have no segregated classes. And 40, 40% of children have disabilities. And I think upwards of 20% has significant disabilities. Um, and you know, what you see is that the children just do not notice that other children have disabilities. They just see each other as kids. And you start to realize that, you know, these biases that we have are really generated from other adults or other generations. And I think if we're going to move into society that's more inclusive, that um, doesn't discard people for thinking differently or for being different, then we really need to create classrooms that mirror what we want that society to look like definitely definitely and thank you for for doing that for your son but for all children uh today i mean i think it's it's with you know parents such as yourself who 
who kind of push the, the, the machine and the institution forward that, that we make progress. So, so thank you for, for doing this advocacy work um, for Emilio, but for all children. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you don't, you don't choose, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a natural thing that feels right. So. <laughs> right. And you, you were, you were given this, this task by, by being Emilio's father, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting sometimes how we, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, we have expectations of what, you know, fatherhood, parenthood is going to be like, and then Oh nope! You've got a <laughs> you've got another task here to do. It's a uh, it's a bit different, and, and you've you've done a beautiful uh, job of it, especially through through this beautiful film that you've created. So thank you for that. So I like to kind of wrap things up with a more personal question, if I may. Um, and I know we we kind of already touched on this, but uh, if you were to you know to go back to prior to Emilio's arrival, so when you know you and Hilda were were expecting, are there any kind of wise words that you would have maybe liked to hear, or you would tell yourself today, knowing all that you know? That is a great question. It's a tough one. You know, it, similarly to what you said about how you didn't want to know the sex of your child, I had friends that were similar to that, um, that also didn't want to know. And I, I couldn't understand why. I was like, I want to know all the information possible um, ahead of time. And really what you realize is that there is no way of knowing so I guess what I would tell myself is to just be in the moment and to appreciate and hold on to everything that you can. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. And how can our listeners uh, learn more about um, your film or any other projects that you have going? Yeah, so we have a website for the film called forgetmenotdocumentary.com. And for short, you could just type in fmndoc.com. And there, there's a lot of information about the film where you can see it streaming. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi. You could stream it for free. You could buy DVDs. There's educational DVDs. And then on the site, we also have a lot of resources for other parents that might be going through similar situations. So, you know, I implore everyone to, to go check that out. And then, um, you know, we have our social media um, Forget Me Not documentary on Facebook. And, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, hopefully people see the film and feel like it's something that they want to share, because I, th I think that ultimately, you know, the more the film gets shared amongst parents um, of both children with disabilities, but children that are typically developing or neurotypical, uh, you know, I think it's so important because it's that's where the real change can happen is, you know, saying like, hey, going to school and asking how many, you know, classrooms are inclusive here and, you know, asking, well, can I have my child be put in an inclusive classroom because I can see the benefit for my child. You know, one thing we didn't touch on, I'll just say it real quick, is that, you know, an inclusive classroom also has more teachers in it, which benefits every child. Right. <laughs> so right. instead of those extra teachers being put in a small setting in a smaller class, those extra teachers are in the main classroom and everyone benefits from that. So 
you know, I hope that the conversation can move beyond just disabilities and into um, mainstream parenting. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, well, thank you, Olivier, for, for taking the time to share all this with us uh, today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child, or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.